0: I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, the Bibles underneath the seats, to Exodus chapter three. It's on page forty-one. Right back here is somebody who experienced something special on Thursday night. Fred Hess, who has been um, coming here for about six years, and who was in our life group for the last six years or so on Thursday nights, was baptized into Jesus Christ. <clears throat> And we actually have a video that evidences that fact. Well, Fred, based on uh, what you said a few moments ago about what it is that you believe, and based on what it is that Christ has done for you, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for the forgiveness of your sins, for Christ's Spirit to come and live within you forever. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that was a rich blessing, a wonderful blessing, and I want to just lead us in prayer right now and thank God for for Fred and for his uh, confession of faith and baptism. Lord, we thank you and praise you this evening, or this morning, that Fred on Thursday evening made this commitment of faith to you. He's been a believer for a while, maybe a long while, but he's taken this step, God, that we believe that Scripture teaches us to take, and we're so grateful that he did. Father, we pray that you'd watch over him and bless him uh, throughout the remainder of his life as he serves and honors you, and we're so grateful that he's here and part of our body. Uh, it's, It's wonderful to be his brother, that he is mine. I just praise you for that, through Jesus. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 3, if you would. If you want to do that, that, that would be great. And we'll be there in just a minute. You know, um, claims today about God kind of abound. There's all kinds of people making claims left and right about what God's doing or who He is. Uh, some of you who are old enough will remember several years ago uh, when Oral Roberts said that he had seen a 900-foot Jesus. And the 900-foot Jesus that appeared to him told him that he needed to build a hospital in Tulsa with 777 beds. It was a biblical number for hospital beds. 777 biblical be- or hospital beds. And um, the fact is that when the city of Tulsa found this out and that he was going to raise all this money for 777 hospital beds, they said, please don't, because they already had way too many hospital beds in Tulsa as it was. And so they didn't need another hospital with 700 and more beds to try and fill. But someone had had what he thought was a revelation. There was something that he thought from, that had come from God. And the fact is that people make claims all the time about what it is that God might have done or God might be doing or who God is. People see things, hear things, you know, uh, and you never know what to make of all of these. Like, for example, on the left... We find the visage of Jesus. On the right, we find one that's kind of comparable. But what is that on the left? It's a pancake. Somebody had seen Jesus in a pancake. Thought that was significant. Put that on the Internet. They sold that pancake on eBay to somebody else who wanted to buy that pancake. Um, in this case, is a frying pan. And you can just make out that Jesus actually planted his face in that frying pan just long enough to be fried I guess um, and so there's the picture of Jesus in the frying pan I don't know if this one was sold on eBay or not I'm guessing that it wasn't but somebody claimed to have seen Jesus in their frying pan it's interesting uh, that they might do that this is does anybody know what does it say at the bottom oh yeah it's a grilled cheese sandwich this is a grilled cheese sandwich and in the grilled cheese sandwich someone thinks they see the picture of the Virgin Mary. Uh, in the grilled cheese sandwich. Now, what's interesting about this one, this is the truth. You can actually see this on display in Las Vegas. And I can't remember if it was a casino or whoever it was. They bought this grilled cheese sandwich after it had been put on the internet for $28,000. They paid $28,000 for this picture of the Virgin Mary in the grilled cheese sandwich, and it's, uh, it's on display. Now, unfortunately, you can imagine. You know what's really on display, don't you? The foolishness of some people. That's what's really on display, and that's why they bought it. They bought it to show, no doubt, how foolish people can be. There's some kind of mockery going on there, and it's, you know, it's just very unfortunate. And then here's another one of the Virgin Mary. This time, it says it's a toaster pastry at the bottom. It's a Pop-Tart, okay? It's the Virgin Mary, and she's got a a nun's garb on. It's a nun's habit, it looks like, Virgin Mary on a Pop-Tart. How many of you think that that's really the picture of the Virgin Mary on a Pop-Tart? Man, I'm glad nobody raised their hand. <laughs> Cuz I don't think it is. I think it's a pop tart. But sometimes people are really silly with the things that they do. And you know, we're we all can be silly, but this is especially silly. And and here's the thing that's that's so sad about this. Somebody thinks this is true. Like someone believes this. Somebody believes that this is a picture of the Virgin Mary on a Pop-Tart, as if God spends his time looking how he can manifest various images on fried food. Like it just, you know, it's, it's beyond my comprehension that people could think these things, that they could believe this kind of stuff, but this is sometimes where we go. It reminds me, I, I, hate, I hate to tell this story actually because it's, it's on somebody from Oregon, but uh, this week there was a guy in Forest Grove, Oregon, which is just west of Portland, not very far from where Robin's parents were living. And the guy was walking down the street, and the police thought he looked a little suspicious, so they stopped him to see, you know, what's going on with this guy. And he had some warrants out for his arrest, and he didn't want to tell them who he was because, uh, you know, they're going to arrest him and put him in jail. So he decided he would tell them his friend's name. So he gave him his friend's name. They went back, looked up the friend's name in their computer in their, you know, in their patrol car, immediately saw that their friend had way more warrants than this guy had. But thought that's who it was and arrested him and they had, like he was kept in jail for days for charges way worse than what he himself had committed because he didn't tell him the truth and sometimes we get silly and we do stuff that just doesn't make any sense. It comes back to, to get us. Well, I would like to think that that's not who we are. I'd like to think that the things that we're interested in have to do with truth. Things that we really, really believe. And so, like for instance, why are you here this morning? Why are you here? I mean, it it could be that you came here to worship. And that's not a bad reason. That's a good reason. It could be that you came here to fellowship with other Christians. And that's a a good thing too. Um, It could be that you came here for encouragement. Um, Jonathan was talking earlier uh, about the Case in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, the uh, hockey team, and and the tragedy that has occurred there. Can you imagine the encouragement and blessing that people need right at this at this bleak, bleak time in their lives? Um, I was listening to, to you know various radio programs talk about the loss of children and the loss of life and the things that people experience, and I mean, it, um, you know, these people need great encouragement. You may be a person today who needs encouragement and you're here today for various uh, reasons to be encouraged. And I, and I certainly want the Lord to bless you. But it seems to me that under all of those things, there is something more foundational. And it seems to me that what's foundational more than anything else is that there is something that is not silly that we actually believe. Like if I just stop being a preacher for a moment and I'm not, you know, let's, let's pretend I'm not presenting a sermon, okay? It doesn't feel so formal for a moment. Let's just be ourselves and I can just talk to you. I can just say, you know what? I really believe this stuff. Like these claims that God has made about himself, the revelation that he's offered in the person of Jesus, I actually believe this. Like I really do. And I, and I think that there are a, a number of you in fact, a whole congregation of people who are here this morning, because if I ask you, do you really believe this? Is that why you're here? You're going to say yes. That you actually believe that there's something beyond the natural. There's something supernatural. There is something beyond this world that we really, 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 really really, really do believe in. Where we say, this is for us foundational, that we accept these things that God has said about Himself, and we believe these. On Easter Sunday, uh, my daughter-in-law, Stephanie, who was married to my son, Adam, she posted a picture of Adam's family. So it was Adam and Stephanie, and and now they have three boys, and so they were all in the picture. And, you know, it was just a typical Easter photo. She put up on Facebook, and she put down, uh, you know, the caption, He is risen. He is risen indeed. And there was a claim being made there by her and by my son and his family about who they are and what they believe. It's like me standing up right now and saying, you know what, I actually believe this stuff. And they were doing the same kind of thing on Facebook, just saying, here we are as a family and we believe this stuff. And somebody uh, known to us made a comment. And he just said this. He said, who has risen? Some fictional Jew from 2,000 years ago? That was the the comment made in response to the picture. And I thought, man, there is such a difference here between where we're at now in life. Where on the one hand, somebody is saying, I really, really believe this. And somebody else is just mocking it. And saying it's as silly as the face of Jesus on a pancake. And it's not silly. And I believe it. I want you to look at Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read some verses here. Some verses about God revealing himself specifically to Moses. And making some claims that we need to hear this morning. It says, now Moses was... Tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. We know this story. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. And you can imagine that wasn't just like a, here I am. (laughs) He must have been like, here I am. The bush is talking to me. What do you do with that? Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And by the way, that's what human beings do. When you're confronted with God, what do you do? You hide your face. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses stops and asks some good questions here. He says, but, God, uh, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And you think about Moses' past. This is a guy who grew up in Egypt underneath Pharaoh. He's got a relationship there. He's not about to go back to Egypt or at least doesn't want to. He doesn't think he's at all the person to do this. And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is, uh, that is I who I've sent, who have sent you. Uh, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain Then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And he's kind of come up with excuses here for why he can't really go down there. And here's what God says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. The issue that Moses faced was in some ways not that different from ours. The fact is that today, in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of places, there are lots of claims that are made about who God is And what he's done. Lots of people think there is no God at all. Now it is the case that most people do believe in God. Like in our world today, we tend to think that people don't believe in God anymore. But it's actually the case that more people believe in God. In Moses' world, they believed in the Canaanite gods also. They believed in the gods of the Chaldeans. Um, By this time, there would have been some movement in India for eventually 300 Million gods to arise from among the Hindus. There are some, certainly, some gods that are believed in. We have some gods as well that people believe in. There's a whole array of them. But when Moses saw a bush burning, and when he heard a voice come out of it, and when he had no explanation as to what was happening, than to believe what was real, everything changed. Because that's what real belief does. When people really, really believe something, things begin to change. Their whole perspective on life is changed in line with that belief. If you don't believe in God, and all of a sudden you do, if you think that God is absolutely real, if He is really there right now, if when I say I believe in this stuff, if God hears me when I say that, if He's just as real as James is, and everything changes. Nothing stays the same. If, if, God, if James was as big as the vision that Oral Roberts saw, let's say James was a 900-foot James, everything would change. Nothing would be the same. The world would be transformed in a huge way if there was actually a 900-foot James. In this case, we have a real God, a real God. And that God then changes everything, our perspective is never the same because of his authenticity and his reality. Moses believed the voice was authentic, and it changes everything from then on out for who Moses is. And the fact is, it's going to change it for the Hebrews. Can you imagine being a Hebrew? You're living in Egypt in the time of Moses. You got some vague memory of the stories that have been told from the past about a God who was the father of some guy named Abraham and some guy named Isaac and some guy named Jacob, and eventually there was stories about Joseph that got passed down, and that's a little bit more real for them because it happened right in Egypt, and they, they start to get in touch with that story a little bit, but it's so kind of fuzzy and they don't get it. If there's anything that in response to those stories the Israelites are going to ask, it's going to be something like this, where in the world is he? Why isn't he doing something? If there is really a God, why is he allowing us to stay in slavery? Does he not love us? Does he not care? Is he not real? Did he die? Did, the, did Pharaoh's gods kick him out? Is he gone to the other side of the world and left us here? Where is he? Those are the kinds of questions that they would have to ask. Did the gods of Egypt scare our God away? And then all of a sudden on the scene comes someone who says, I absolutely believe. And I believe because of what this one has said about himself, about being ultimately the I am. And so that's what God says. He says, I am. Why did he say that? Why is it that he specifically used those words? First, the answer is because in naming himself this way, in calling himself I am, it's because he's stating something about his reality, about his existence. God is telling the Israelites, I am real. Yes, there are claims made by all the Canaanites about their gods. There are claims made about by the Egyptians about their gods. There are claims made by the Chaldeans about their gods. There are those who say there are no gods, but I'm here to tell you I am. Am. And in saying that, he's saying, I am the existent one. It's like, it's like he says, I'm the one who bees. I be. I'm the being one. I really do exist. All these other gods are, are odd fabrications. And I am the one who really is. I'm real. The existent one. And I stand behind all that exists. And if something does exist, it exists because of me. And all the claims by the other gods pale in comparison to this claim made by God that he's the one who really is I am. The existent one. And so one of the things that we need to ask ourselves today is whether or not we believe this. And it's it's an odd claim. It's a strange claim if you think about it. In our scientific world, where so many people don't believe, Scripture is asking us to accept this as a real truth. For us to say, there is truth, and He is it. He really does exist. That's the claim that He makes. It's the claim that Scripture makes. It's the claim that we're called to make as well. You know, perhaps the most strident and well-ordered thoughts from an atheistic perspective came during the last hundred years or so from a British philosopher named Anthony Flew. I don't know if you know anything about Flew, if you've ever read anything about it. As it turns out, Anthony Flew died exactly eight years ago today. He died on April 8th, 2010. When I was a PhD student, um, we had to read Flew. They wanted to make sure that we read flu so that we would read the best atheistic arguments that were out there. And so I've read tons of Anthony Flew trying to refute the, the respectability of the position of belief in God. During the last six years or so of his life, Anthony Flew turned all of that around. So I, when I was doing my work, I was reading, say, 2001, 2002, and I'm reading an Anthony Flew who says, there is no such thing as God. And about three years later, after I'd read all that stuff from Flew, he recanted it all. And he turned that position around and became a believer in God. Now, I don't think that Anthony Flew ever became a Christian. But he did become a theist. He began to believe that the world is such that there has to be real belief. Jonathan was just telling me in the last couple of weeks about a radio program he was listening to. And about how all these... Well, I won't say all these, but some scientists, well-recognized, formerly atheistic scientists, are in a position of having to say, it appears as though there is something there. It appears as though there is something beyond just this natural universe that we think we dwell in by ourselves. And the answer, of course, is, duh. He said, I am... He said, I'm existent, I'm the existent one. That's the claim that he makes. This becomes, by the way, this word in Hebrew becomes the word Yahweh. If you ever hear us talking about Yahweh or references in the Old Testament to to who Yahweh is, it's this word that begins, it's a verbal form actually, but then it gets translated into a proper name and it becomes the name of Yahweh. And it means simply when you hear the name Yahweh, it means the existent one, the one who is, the one who bees. That's the claim that Scripture makes, and it's someplace that we need to stand. A second claim that is made here is that God is intensely personal, and this just puts Him in a completely different place than the gods of the Canaanites and the Chaldeans and all those other gods that were present at the time. He makes a claim about being personal, and it's inherent in the expression, I am. What what is, what is I in the English language, somebody tell me, there's going to be some English genius out here who knows what I is. What does I do in the English language? It's the first person personal pronoun, singular. There's only one of them. And so when he says, I am, it's a comment about his personhood. He isn't just the existent energy force. He's not just the existent love out there, some kind of nebulous thing that just exists in an ethereal way. Instead, he's making a claim about his own personality and, in fact, takes on for himself this as a name. He becomes, at this point, a person. He's not just God. He is God, the person who deals with human beings and with his creation as a person. And so, all of a sudden, the what that we thought was out there, perhaps, becomes a who. All of a sudden, he becomes a who, and he becomes relational, and he relates to you, and he relates to me, and he can say things like, I love you, and I care for you. Look at verse 7 in the text here in Exodus chapter 3. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. He cares about these people. He's impacted by their misery. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. Why does he do that? Because he personally cares. God has a heart. He's emotional. He's relational. He cares for these people. And he certainly cares for you and he cares for me as well. And so God is, in fact, the existent one, the one that stands behind everything. But Scripture says that he also is this intensely personal God who cares for us with great love and compassion. We believe that as he has intentions for the world, he has intentions for his people as well. And he includes, as part of these intentions, this eternal relationship that he wants to have with us. And he's doing that now, specifically through the person of Jesus. So thirdly, in this text, I think I am becomes then his identity. And that's why he calls himself Yahweh. Being the very existent one becomes who he is. So yes, it's a name, but it's so much more than a name. It's his existence that he is the one who exists. Now what's so cool for us here in this is that, as you can see from the letters on the baptistry, we're launching into this series on the I am statements. We'll have a banner up next week. Hopefully, we had a little trouble with that. They, I, I found that you look at things on different computer screens and they look entirely different. And we, couldn't, we just couldn't get the computer screens to sync up between the printer and ourselves. But next week, hopefully, we'll have a banner. It's going to display the notion of I am. He is the existent one. And he's the one in whom we have relationship. And ultimately, he comes in the person of Jesus. And so all these wonderful, beautiful statements by Jesus in the Gospel of John, consistently using the same language, I am. And I'll, I'll, next week I'll explain to you how that works between the Hebrew and the Greek and Jesus using I am and how he does it. It's, it's beautiful. But for this morning, we just need to understand this is who God is. And his son comes as his representative, as his revelation, his spokesperson, and consistently calls himself I am because he identifies himself with this one who is God. The question this morning perhaps is, do we really believe this? These are the claims that God makes about himself. Do we believe what God says? And if we believe what God says, what is the impact of that, of that real core authentic belief on how we live and think we'll talk more about that next week let's pray god we thank you for the privilege of receiving your revelation we wouldn't know you if you hadn't revealed yourself to us but you did you showed yourself to moses Because you showed yourself to Moses, an entire nation, a people belonging to you, came to be. But then, God, you you do the same thing in Jesus. You show yourself to us again. And you speak to us again as the I am, the existent one, this time in the person of your son. And help us, Father, as as we hear this revelation from you to not only believe, but to give our lives to this truth. We thank you that Jesus reveals you to us. It's through him that we pray. Amen.